Welcome to the Slavic Boat Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. So what I love about Portland is we have great vision, and I have great vision for the future of Portland. I see a city where, once again, people want to come here and visit and spend their time, where conventions will come here, where we're all proud to live in one of the greenest cities in the country, one of the most uh, progressive cities in the country, and one of the most caring cities in the country. But that is not today. And part of that is, you know, implementing solutions that actually work. Think big, but have the pragmatic solutions. And so Uh, we're spending a lot of money here, one of the highest tax rates, marginalized, marginal tax rates in the country. Where's the money going? How can we not help, you know, a few thousand individuals in our streets, one of the most wealthy cities in the country? So you hear a lot about uh, uh, homelessness. You hear a lot about crime. And... um, and you hear a lot about how people are just fed up with City Hall. You know, People trying to contact their city council people, people trying to ask for help in whatever that way, and then they get ignored. And I, I was born that. in Kiev, and um, my family at that point in time, uh, we were all living in Kiev, but it was the Soviet Union. And uh, this was uh, 1978, uh, and uh, my family had heard about life being better in America. And your audience probably realizes this, but this was before the internet, before television. There was a lot of propaganda about how bad America was. But people knew. People knew that life could be better here. And uh, my family... uh, Yeah, so our organization is a nonprofit. Uh, We're nonpartisan. So this is going to be a really interesting uh, radio segment, I guess you can say. Uh, So what we do is first we register. We have three goals, registration, education, and activation. Uh, So we've been around for about two years. This is our second year. Um, I think the first phase that we really tried to tackle in the first two years was just registrations. We realized that a lot of the Slavic community was not registered. We were looking at possibly like 18% uh, having registered, and out of the 18, probably like 4% was voting. Very low voting record. Um, I think within the last two years, we raised enough awareness to where people are actually getting ballots now because by the amount of questions that we're receiving, we can see that the interest is up. Um, People are looking to get educated. And I think there's third step, which we kind of attempted at last elections, um, was activation. And we had a couple candidates that did run for some positions. Um, Some did win, but not locally here. I know in like in Seattle area, they did. So, and um, I think today's radio station is going to actually probably touch up more on the activation part Absolutely. and maybe Absolutely. education too. Thank you, Yaroslav. Thank you, Yaroslav. Well, Vadim, thank you for being here. We're excited to have you. I've, uh, I've seen you uh, out on Instagram and uh, Facebook uh, announce, and I was uh, really interested to meet you for a while now. So I'm excited that you finally were able to come into the studio and would love to pick your brain. Uh, First of all, how are you doing today? Oh, very well. Thank you. No, thank you very much for inviting awesome. me. I appreciate being here, and I, I, lo- I appreciate speaking with you. Um, thank you. The campaign is going very well, Excellent. and it's talking to individuals like yourself that's going to really propel us to victory. Awesome, awesome. Well, you have a, a Slavic name, or um, a name that would normally most people recognize as Slavic. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from? And uh, by the way, did you understand anything we said earlier? Да, я все понимаю, но просто лучше говорю по-английски. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, отлично. So I guess, yeah, go ahead if you can just quickly tell about yourself, uh, where you come from, and uh, just a little bit about yourself. No, я родился в Киеве. Я по-английски скажу. I was born in Kiev, and um, my family at that point in time, uh, we were all living in Kiev, but it was the Soviet Union. And uh, this was uh, 1978. 
uh, and uh, my family had heard about life being better in America. And your audience probably realizes this, but this was before the Internet, before television. There was a lot of propaganda about how bad America was. But people knew. People knew that life could be better here. And uh, my family uh, applied to leave and to go to, at that point in time, uh, because they were of the Jewish faith, um, you could only go to Israel. Um, they honestly didn't have any intention to go to Israel, so we were able to leave Russia. And this is how... Um, how much anti-Semitism there was at that point in time. You were allowed to leave, but you had to give up your citizenship. You weren't allowed to come back and visit your relatives. It was really a one-way ticket. Uh, you weren't allowed to uh, uh, exchange your money into uh, dollars or any other kind of currency, just a very small amount of money that you could take with you, and only a few possessions. So my father, who was an avid photographer, took his camera with him. You know, we had a few suitcases, and that was it. I didn't really understand what was going on back then so much, but we, uh, we went from Kiev, then we went to Austria, uh, and then from Austria we were told to go to Italy. Uh, mm. We spent several months in Italy waiting for permission to go to America. Um, living in an apartment with several families. Uh, my father sold off his camera to be able to pay for our day-to-day -day living expenses. And finally, we got permission to come to the United States. Um, you know, we arrived. Uh, none of us knew any English, uh, just a couple words from my father, and that's it. I started school not knowing any English, started first grade right away. At this point, it was 1979. And, um, yeah, and, and life was uh, difficult for a while. It was a true immigrant story. We, uh, you know, we, we tried to learn English as quickly as possible. My father, who's an engineer, took random jobs working uh, as a coat checker, working whatever he could find. Um, you know, our first TV was a television that somebody else had thrown away and my father was able to repair. My first toy was a similar thing. Somebody had thrown away one of those um, vibrating electric football games. I don't know if you remember those. It's, it's quite a long time ago. I, I don't know anything about football, but uh, it was a game and they fixed it and it was vibrating and it, it did something. So that was the first thing. And so life was hard, but... My understanding, you, you came, immigrated in 1979? 1979. Correct? And then was it directly to Portland or some other state? No, thank you for reminding me. This was to uh, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it was so cold in Erie, my parents decided to move away. Um, coming from the Ukraine, it was surprising. But uh, in, um, in Texas at that point in time, they had the oil boom. So there was a large calling for engineers over there, better jobs. And my family moved around quite a bit for jobs and so forth. So we moved to Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a product of public schools product of public universities. And uh, like many immigrants, I was given two choices. I could be a lawyer or I can be a lawyer, uh, a lawyer or a, or a doctor, that is. Right, and right. then um, and then I could also be an engineer if one of those two didn't work out. So I decided to be a lawyer and I went to law school, uh, awesome. public law school in Texas. Um, I clerked for several judges, uh, worked at a law firm in Texas, and then worked for the U.S. government. So currently I work as an administrative judge for the U.S. government for the Social Security Administration. And, um, you know, it's very much the quintessential success story for immigrants. You know, work hard, study hard, do the best you can, um, fit in as much as possible, which explains my English, and, uh, and, and try, to, try to integrate in society and succeed. And, and we, we did that. Um, and so I'm very proud of all the hardships that we experienced because it really gave me insight on what it's like to actually, um, you know, be concerned about day-to-day -day life and, and, and jobs and also a perspective on how lucky I am to be be able to be here and talk with you all and run for office and all these things that are happening in my life right now. Right. That's awesome. Well, uh, when I originally saw your uh, your job title, I guess, um, you said administ administrative law judge. 
What exactly is that, I guess? So the U.S. government has all kinds of different judges. Uh, there's district judges, and they may do some criminal trials, some civil trials. There's bankruptcy judges, and there's also administrative judges, and they work um, for federal agencies. So whether it's a Social Security Administration or the Patent Office, they all have different judges. And if someone gets denied a benefit, you can appeal that and at some point in time have a hearing with lawyers and experts and those sort of things. And that's what I do for Social Security. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, very interesting because my parents are actually aging right now. Well, they're in that process where retirement and then Social Security and uh, yeah, interesting position. I think the reason Dima is asking all these questions is because we have a couple aspiring lawyers too in the Russian community, and <laughs> we always it's kind of probe usually. and realize that lawyers they do everything. I mean, there's uh, like legal stuff and just just in general, it's it's a pretty it's broad a good education, field, very broad field yeah. too. Yeah, you can get very specific. Right. Yeah, it's definitely something that is less uh, often seen in the Slavic community, uh, but uh, I, I think that's something becoming more and more common to see. So I think that's going to be a great benefit to the Slavic community and uh, just going to give us more um, more representation in that field as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the skills are very transferable. You can obviously practice as a lawyer, but uh, learning how to think about how different systems work and how things fit together, how to make an argument, uh, how to discuss certain subjects, that's what you learn in law school. It's not so much the actual uh, um, law, but it's how to think in a logical way and present your arguments, and that transfers to, you know, obviously government, uh, transfers to um, all kinds of occupations, um, and I, I think it's a benefit to a lot of people if they do it. Did your parents uh, live through the World War II, I'm guessing? Uh, no, well, toward the, they were born right after World War II. My grandparents did. So, you know, it's, it's one of those stories that I um, have learned from my mother about the difficulties it was from people returning from, from war. Uh, my mother's uh, relatives uh, had farms, and uh, under Stalin, those, those farms were taken away. Uh, there was a lot of... Uh, um, starvation in that area because the food was taken away to feed Russia and, and other other places as well. Uh, it, that, that area, as, as you know all too well, has had just uh, drama and a lot of hard times and everybody hopes for a better future and maybe one day it will. Right now they're having their own problems and uh, right. still hoping for a better future. Have, yeah. Do you follow at all the things that are still going on in Ukraine? I, I have. I have pretty closely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we want to go that route. We were just speaking right. about that in the entryway over there. Yeah, we, we try to stick with it. Just so um, so um, my question is, is, by the way, your path to the U.S. is very similar to how we did that, except we came in 89, probably like 10 years almost after you did. Um, also for... Um, partially like religious persecution because people weren't able to process, you know, in our in our uh, area, <clears throat> it was Christianity. You said Judaism in your case. Um, what kind of stories did your parents tell you of like what happened on a daily basis? I think uh, as, as the generations move on and especially here locally, um, not a lot of grandparents pass on what happened. Uh, like for example, Dimitri's grandpa was in jail because he went to a church service for like what was the time limits like 10 years or five years something really ridiculous and people don't realize that um what were some of the really short stories that your parents told you of like some kind of persecution that you guys that prompted you even to move to the u.s yeah uh, very similar stories uh, like that um one of my uh, uh, uh one of my relatives uh had a farm and uh the people in that area wanted to take over that farm they told the uh, uh, police that um 
you know, uh, he was an instigator and he was sent off to a war camp. Um, then his wife, um, uh, you know, was still there. Uh, she went and to be closer to where he yeah. was. Um, and uh, just he lost the, the farm. He ended up dying in the work camp. Um, and it, it really obviously uh, traumatized that whole family. Uh, more recently, even when I was a child, I remember my parents telling me when I was young, and I didn't understand this back then, but now I do, um, not to tell my dentist about either my faith or that we were leaving the country to move to the United States oh, yeah. because they were afraid my dentist would treat me poorly in the office if, if he knew about it. And right before we left, they sent the police to our apartment and they went to all of our neighbors and told them that we were leaving, that we were traitors to the country, um, that they should not be friends with us or, or hang around with us or any of that kind of stuff just because we were leaving the country. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I missed it. Uh, when did you, when your family move to the Portland area? So uh, that was about eight years ago. Eight years ago. My, my parents are still, well, my mother is going to be moving. My, my father passed away a few years ago, but my mother is uh, going to be moving here probably this summer. Um, From uh, Pennsylvania? from Houston, Texas right now. Okay. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you so you moved from Pennsylvania to Texas and then you that's where you studied and then 8 years ago you moved here. Right. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in Dallas, Texas? Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And and you know, I grew up in a family that moved around a lot, which yeah. means I moved around a lot. Right. So I've lived in New Orleans, I've lived in Washington DC, I've lived in Southern California, yeah. but I came here to the Portland area and, and fell in love right. with the area. The people here are really great and uh, and the nature and the restaurants. Uh, you know, how many Russian delis are here? Like about yeah. 3 in the, <laughs> pretty close to oh, here. At least that's yeah. uh, I think in my count it's at least 10 just in Portland. Okay. And there's another probably ten in the Vancouver area. Yeah, I go to Romans and then uh, yeah. um, the Russian right. Elegance. I think is the other one that's pretty close to there. Yeah, I think Romans is one of the first ones, mm -hmm. one of the original. Ones. Yeah, in Houston, there's I don't think there's one. Really mm -hmm. interesting. So, um, having been here for eight years in Portland, you've seen the good and the bad, right? Yeah. Uh, as far as what's been been happening in the past two years, you would say, um, versus what was it like before? Um, why politics and why now? specifically in this time and day? So as I was saying, I moved to Portland and really fell in love with it. I'm, I, I said I was done with moving around. I bought a house here, I settled down. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that was uh, putting down roots. Uh, so I joined some civic organizations here. Uh, being a, a judge that deals a lot with disability issues, one of the first um, committees that I was appointed to by city council was the uh, Portland Commission on Disability. And then um, over time, I was appointed to, uh, for instance, right now, the Charter Commission. We're looking into how to reform the form of government here in Portland to uh, better the representation for people. Uh, I've been on the uh, uh, Citizen Review Committee, which hears complaints against the police bureau, on the Portland Committee on Community-Engaged Policing, which is community engagement. And so I started joining these committees. And also in my private life, um, I was asked to be invited to be uh, a board member for ERCO, the Immigrant and Refugee oh, Community Organization. Yeah, um, so you've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So helping with their um, Slavic and Eastern European Center is very important to me. And uh, still on the board? Or yes, I'm still on the board. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also, uh, I was the past president of the uh, Public Safety Action Coalition, and I'm still on their board. I was the past president. And in these organizations, part of it is going to city council and trying to um, elevate the voices of people. And, and uh, uh, people would come and they would have uh, difficulties, whatever that might be, whether it's disability, immigration, or public safety, or any of a number of things. And they had common sense solutions. They came and said, you know, if only this were to get done, my life would be better. 
my business would be better, my community would be better. And time and time again, I saw how difficult it was to get that done. And certainly in the last couple of years, um, it's been very difficult in central Portland and really in all of Portland, and not just because of COVID, but because of how dysfunctional our government is. And it's talking to individuals. One person had lived in downtown Portland for her whole life. She was retired, uh, probably about 70 years old, and she said she refused to walk her neighborhood at night because someone had chased her one night and she was scared to walk her dog for the first time in 30 years that she lived in Portland. Uh, another individual said that he broke his lease on a on, a, on an architecture business that he had, paid $100,000 to break his lease wow. because he couldn't um, he, he, he couldn't tell his employees that they could be safe. So he moved away from Old Town to uh, Lake Oswego. And you hear these kind of stories of people struggling, of people having difficult times, and then you see that city council really doesn't do anything to address it. You know, whether it's the homeless crisis or public safety or any of these issues that are affecting a lot of individuals. And people keep asking, well, what's what's the change? How do we get things done? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I try to help as much as I can. And we had a few successes. But at the same time, I realized um, talking to individuals that have been active in Portland politics before that the only way to really make that lasting change is to run for office. Right. That's awesome. Um, I know that you know, something like we talked about before, you know, it's it's an interesting process. We encourage the Slavic community to also run for local office. So uh, how did you, did you find the process uh, difficult or simpler than you originally thought? So um, I'll, I'll say this for anybody that wants to run for office, do it. Um, you get to meet a lot of nice people, a lot of people that are very interested in improving Portland. Um, I was actually surprised by how many people are out there that um, in, invigorated me to run for office because they were out there actually making those changes. They're just looking for people to help and for a plan. Um, so I, it, it's great. You know, you have to build a good team around you. So I have a good team of advisors. I have a, a wonderful um, uh, manager, uh, campaign manager, actually two co-campaign managers, and they know what they're doing really, really well. So uh, the team is, is very important. But once you get your name out there, once you're talking to people and you're making the phone calls and you're, you know, knocking on doors if that's uh, going to happen ever again and, and you're out there talking to the neighborhood associations, talking to whoever invites you, having coffees individually, having um, Zoom meetings with, you know, 30, 40 people at a time, whatever it takes. Uh, it, it really is um, a, a very special process so far. And I, I hope I can, you know, uh, uh, help those individuals uh, down the road. For sure. So for those novices like me here, um, the position is city council position three. Yes. What is the significance of this? Does the three mean anything? Um, or is this just uh, because I know some positions they're um, they're kind of cycled through. So it can be like a five year term or something like that. What, what is the significance of that specific position and why? Portland has a very unique form of government. It's the only large city that still has a commissioner form of government. So we have a mayor and we have four commissioners on city council. Mm -hmm. And what many people don't realize, and I hope they're starting to realize more and more, is that their authority is pretty much the same. Uh, each so we have four mayors, in other words? We basically or? have five mayors. Five mayors. Yeah. Wow. The only difference between the mayor and the rest of the commissioners is the mayor gets to propose the budget. They all have to vote on the budget, but he can propose the budget. Currently, it's a he. 
and the mayor can assign which commissioners are in charge of the bureaus. And that's the unique form of our government. We don't have a city manager. We don't have a bureaucrat that's in charge of all the bureaus. The commissioners are in charge of the individual bureaus. And so commissioner number three is one of the four commissioners. Right now it's held by Joanne Hardesty. And uh, I just feel that she's taking Portland in the wrong direction, but she's also in charge of PBOT. So when you see uh, trash on the streets, when you see RVs that are parked illegally, um, that is PBOT. Uh, she's in charge of civic life. So when you see the graffiti on the streets and the graffiti is not being cleaned up, that's civic life. They have the funding to award contracts for cleaning up graffiti. When you go to your neighborhood association and people say, um, I'm not being heard, we have difficulties, but city is not listening, that's civic life. They're supposed to get the neighborhood associations involved. So each, each commissioner has a lot of authority right now for both good and bad. Right, and so I know that... Um so PBOT is, is one of the things. Is, is, crime, is crime or the police department, is that also in charge? Uh, is she in charge of that? Uh, she wishes she was. She wishes. So uh, the mayor can assign the bureaus, and the mayor has historically uh, kept the uh, uh, police bureau within his or her portfolio. So our mayor is also the police commissioner. Okay. In the past, Joanne has asked to be police commissioner. She's demanded that, um, but I don't think the police would like that all that much. Right. And I think for those who don't know, uh, Ted Wheeler is the current mayor. That's correct. Of Portland. Yeah. So this current structure, is it an issue with the structure, the way everything is structured? Or is it, because I mean, from what you're describing, there's people ending up being ahead of commissions that might not even specialize in that specific area. Or they're having to control like large groups of people when they, maybe they didn't have any like business experience or any kind of company experience. Like what's the, what's the downfall of this specific structure? And then um, what would you do in this case? What's the, what would be the plan to fix that specific issue? Uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, so th that is the difficulty is you have individuals that perhaps are not good managers and they're put into, they're basically yeah. the CEOs of organizations that have hundreds of millions of dollars that they're spending every year, like Peabody. So um, that's, that's the problem. And uh, I've been appointed about a year ago to the Charter Commission. And our goal, uh, it's a commission that gets formed every 10 years, is to look into reforming our city government. One of the first thing we did was we spoke with all the elected officials, with the mayor, with the commissioners, with the auditor as well. And we spoke with all the bureau heads and we asked them, uh, do you think it's working? And all of them, except for one individual, gave us these horror stories about how it's not working. So the police chief came and said, if I need a ladder, it's cheaper for me, it's easier for me to buy a ladder than to go to the fire bureau and request a ladder. Because then I have to, you know, ask everybody all the way up to City Hall, uh, staff on the commissioners, they have to agree, then it has to go through another commission and go down. The park said, if we want to, um, you know, fix a sidewalk in a park, then we have to get three different bureaus involved. And those bureaus might be with different commissioners and there's not that coordination so you hear that siloing effect and and there's a uh, money is being misspent because there's similar services in different bureaus but they're not working together what about zoning zoning oh, um, wow. zoning and also uh, permitting Permitting is one of these things where you have to get different bureaus involved, and there's not an easy process for that. So the solution, uh, f according to a lot of people, and, and this is what we're working on right now, is to um, 
change our form of government to what pretty much every other major city in the United States has. There's no longer any large city that has our form of government. In the past, there used to be, but they've all figured out that it's not working, and it's not working for Portland. So um, changing it to maybe a city manager form of government where there's um, a person whose sole responsibility is to manage bureaus. That person is not elected, but would be hired by city council. And it's an individual who, you know, through schooling, through jobs, through past work, maybe being a city manager in smaller cities, learn how to do that well. And that person can be hired and fired if they do a good job, then they continue working. If they don't do a good job, then you can fire them, unlike politicians where, you know, you have to vote them out of office every yeah. four years. And that's, that's one of the difficulties we've been having over these last two years. I think uh, COVID has put a lot of things in perspective. When things are well, going well in Portland, there's a lot of money coming in from taxes. There's a lot of tourism, business as well. You can kind of cover up all the difficulties of our political system. But when things start falling apart, you know, when we had the peaceful protests that became the late night riots, um, when we had, um, you know, certainly the lockdowns from COVID and the businesses suffering, when we had the uh, police leaving and we didn't have enough uh, police to actually patrol the areas and the crime started going up. Um, and when the money, you know, wasn't quite there as it was before, then all of a sudden it puts into perspective um, the authority that these people have. And the problem that we've been having is that these people were not working together. It's very much a divided city council. Um, they're all going in different directions. Maybe you can get two people on board at the same time. Uh, and, and with the homeless as well, I, I certainly should have mentioned that. Um, you know, we, people keep saying that there's a crisis. But if you look at city council, you would have never known that there was a crisis. They're acting so slowly to fix these things that um, and that's because of the way our former government is. But it's also who is in city council right now, which I'm hoping to change. So I recently participated in, uh, I think it was the uh, Coalition of Colors organization. They were doing the charter, uh, uh, I think it was classes or discussions, how to either just their ideas of what would be a good change. So my understanding this year they're going to be changing or they're going to be voting to possibly change that that structure. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, and I spoke with uh, uh, communities, uh, a coalition of communities of color. I think it was last week as well with uh, Monday, their executive director um, and, and, and Jenny Lee, their um, second in charge over there and a few other people. They were they spoke with us about the meeting that you went to All where right. they got community input on uh, the charter. And that's exactly right. In November, we will have um, for a vote. Um, recommendations as to what can change in order to improve. And if uh, 15 members of this Charter Commission vote for something, it'll go directly to the ballot, and that's what we're hoping to do. So once we see the ballots uh, with the governor candidates, we're also going to see the Charter uh, change, essentially, uh, initiative on there. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, that'll be interesting. Is there going to be multiple options, or there's going to be, like, two options? Uh, how is it going to look like? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question as well. We are... Um, in the midst of ascertaining what that looks like, I think there should be more options so people can have a wider choice as to what they want their government to look like. Because it's not just a change in um, the former government having a city manager or what's called an executive mayor where the mayor is more in charge of things than currently. Uh, another option is how we represent people. So right now, everyone's elected at large. So when I run for office, um, I, I need to talk to people in West Portland and East Portland, right. North Portland, South, everybody. But 
there's a, a view that if we have districts where people get elected from within their districts, then the people can be more responsive to their constituents. So now maybe you'll elect somebody from Northeast Portland or Southeast Portland or Far East Portland and West, you know, uh, and that'll probably be on the ballot, uh, having four or five districts in Portland, maybe two or three representatives from each district, a few more people on city council. So there's uh, more representation and more variety of representation. Uh, and and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, also, it's going to be interesting to see what the voters will want to do with that. Right. And so I think that it'd be good to have more selection rather yeah. than less. For sure. And I'm particularly was interested when we had those discussions uh, with the Coalition of Colors. Uh, we were talking about, uh, and, and tell me if this is going to be also on the ballot, uh, there's a thing called ranked voting, or I'm sure there's another way, way to say that. Is that going to be also on the ballot, or is that a separate issue that's going to be brought up later? There's a lot of discussion about that, so they'll probably be on the ballot. Uh, right now, it's whoever wins 50% of the vote plus right. one. Uh, rank choice voting or rank voting, uh, you can actually rank all of your yeah. candidates, one to five, whomever you like. And if one person uh, isn't in the top four, then the, their votes go to the next person and the next person, next person. So it's a different kind of voting. Um, New York City recently had voting like that, and it's been tried and proven. People are also talking about another kind of voting called star voting, and that's not been tried anywhere in, uh, in the United States at least. But, um, you know, there's other options of electing individuals, and um, they all have their pros and cons. Right. Yeah, it's just I know that in the primaries, not a lot of people vote at all, just by the yeah. statistics. And I know Alaska, I believe, is the one, the only state or one of the only states that have the entire state switch to rank voting. Is that correct? Oh, I'm not even sure about that, yeah. but that sounds yeah. yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, and I, I I see a lot of positive things about 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 that compared to what we have now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'll be uh, definitely interested to vote for something like that. Okay. Uh, and that's a recommendation we got from the Coalition of Communities yep. of Color as well. Yeah, I think the mm -hmm. uh, majority was interested in seeing that. And I can't, I can't tell why would somebody be against it and unless you have – uh, some uh, if you heard any yeah I mean I, we've, we've talked to a lot of people about this and I've done my own research so the, the there's maybe a couple benefits of the current system one it's pretty easy okay yeah. so you go in there you like an individual you vote for that individual you're done you know you don't have to rank people you don't have to know the platforms of at least five people and you know sometime in the last election cycle I think for the uh, election that Dan Ryan won there were about 20 people running yeah. so to educate yourself on 20 people and be able to vote, you know, it's pretty difficult. And so people like having that primary because, as I said, you only vote for one person, but also after that primary, it winnows it down to two people and you can be more informed about their platforms. You understand really well what those two people stand for versus very little about what 20 people stand for. Um, but that's that's really the only argument for it as far okay. as I can tell. Yeah, but we're seeing people having to like vote, vote cross-platform. I mean, I know for Portland, uh, like the Republican is not going to go anywhere so you're having to look either on the democrat side you know see who matches up with your values so i think this whole two-party system i don't know if it's going to go away anytime soon but um people are more voting on values like there could be people on both sides that represent more of what you believe in and you would actually vote for them so i think rank voting would be that's a right. great yeah. idea yeah, yeah. Um, i think most people are for rank voting yeah so yeah. my question to you is is um you kind of explained the boundaries of what city council position would you know, would require of you um, or the, I guess, what you're able to do, what would you, what do you see like your first week or your first month in that position? What would you be doing? Like, what's the, for anybody that's looking to run in for a city council position? Okay. What's that like? 
we we have to tackle the big so i'll answer that in two ways mm-hmm. one is we have to tackle the big issues here in portland okay we, uh, we can't even pick up the trash adequately right but we certainly are uh, doing a disservice to people living in our streets and the communities that in which they house i mean it is a humanitarian crisis all around um every day when i talk to people i hear stories about not only the difficulties people in the streets are experiencing but people who uh, have been victimized as a result of that and we need to make sure that people get the help that they need but also that we do it in a way that actually works. Right now what we're doing is not working. We're spending a lot of money. So part of that is getting together with um, the other people in city council. And I'm already working with three individuals in city council right now in my various capacities. So that's something right away we can get together and be able to uh, solve in, a, in an adequate way rather than divisiveness. It'll be more inclusive. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the, the crime and the gun violence, the shootings. Um, you know, uh, the shootings in East Portland have increased uh, in the last couple of years 250%. So the shootings resulting in injuries. I'm not talking about death, which is the highest in the history of Portland, but the shooting injuries. In North Portland, it's increased 400%. And in Central Portland, the West Side, Central Portland, it's increased 800% in the last two years. These are, it's, it's the crime figures are staggering, and so we need to work together. And what I'm bringing to the table is that ability to work together because that's what I've been doing the last few years. I already know these individuals. We already worked on other projects together, and we'll be able to build that coalition that's needed. Now, on the back end, what I hear a lot from people um, is that they feel unheard by city council. They feel that city council is making decisions without involving community members, without involving stakeholders, people who have good ideas. People who have sometimes been working in Portland for a long time and built the city that, as it is right now, and yet um, they're being ignored because um, you know of pure politics. And so I intend to, once again, all the work that I've been doing in building coalitions, whether it's to the immigrant communities or the disability communities um, or, or the developer communities. I mean, there's no, I'm not going to exclude people, but we have to put people together that know what they're doing that have been involved in these areas, that have expertise, and get the input from them about how the city should be run. Too often we see people governing by ideology. They come into the city government and they're like, I know better than everybody else what Portland needs. That's that's certainly not the case. You have to listen to people. And so um, from day one, I'll be building those coalitions. I'll be reaching out to people whom I've worked with right now to some extent, but also other people, some of whom might not be supporting me right now. And that's fine because we need all views at the table and, and having roundtable discussions, individuals that I can go to week in, week out and ask for their help in actually making Portland the city that we all want it to be. So with your position, you mentioned uh, PBOT is one of the positions, one of the uh, bureaus, I guess, you'll be overseeing, right? So th- is that correct? Well, the the mayor would still assign the okay. bureaus, yeah. but that, that's a possibility. Okay. Um, so uh, in your position, what are some of the obstacles do you think that you could face when you uh, try to uh, assert, uh, tackle a certain issue that you're particularly uh, interested in? Well, the, you know, one of the obstacles is um, sort of in, in entrenchment of um, – you know certain uh, ideas that may be incompatible with uh, what's what the what the city needs to uh, get ahead, and so you know for instance you uh, you may have heard that um, I'll use an example of of Old Town. There's a post office that closed down. There were some developers from uh, I believe it was. Denver, maybe that bought that. It might have been Seattle. But anyways, um, who were uh, going to revitalize that area and create this area where there was going to be 
uh, housing, but also low-cost housing, a few hundred units of low-cost housing for people that are uh, indigent, can't afford to live in those housing, including the homeless community. Um, they were going to put shops in there so, uh, so that businesses can come in and they can hire employees and pay them a good wage. And this was going to be built by unionized labor, so good paying jobs to build this area. It was going to be a very expensive project, but it was going to have big results for Portland. But because of the difficulties in the in in the way that uh, Prosper Portland and some of the organizations that I had to interface with, um, they weren't able to come to terms as to um, what would allow them to make enough profit to make it worthwhile. And so now they pulled out completely. And if you go to Old Town, um, Old Town is, is suffering right now. Uh, there's a lot of businesses leaving. There's a lot of people that are living there that feel exhausted. Uh, there's a lot of homeless people there looking for a place to live, which once again, they're not gonna have the ones that were gonna be built there in Old Town. Uh, and it's all because uh, the, um, the, the, the agencies that are in charge of working and building uh, and working with the developers in order to like build it, we're not able to communicate well. And so you have to break down those barriers and that idea that we know better than everybody else. We has to be all inclusive. Yes, we need the um, uh, people that are active in the housing community. We need to have people that are there to preserve and make sure Portland is green. We need to make sure that it's equitable, but we also need to make sure that we can get things done. And right now we're just not getting things done. Right, for sure. So my question is, we talked earlier about how um, we're pretty much the last city using this structure for the form of government or um, how would, is it possible to apply and look at a different city? Like, for example, you came from Texas, from Houston. Um, how are they tackling this issue? I, I think like reinventing the wheel is a lot harder than just looking at a place where it works. Um, I've been to Texas before. And of course, it was pre-pandemic and there was no homeless situation there at all. Like we were in downtown nothing not one person that we saw and we were there pretty late at night um so like can we use a template from a different city and apply it to portland or is it area specific oh de definitely i believe in pragmatic solutions whether it's being a lawyer or being an immigrant you know i i know how difficult life can be and that sometimes you need to in order to uh, succeed at something you have to be practical about the way you do it and the difficulty we have here is um, we, we're not practical in the way we achieve things. So what I love about Portland is we have great vision. And I have great vision for the future of Portland. I see a city where, once again, people want to come here and visit and spend their time, where conventions will come here, where we're all proud to live in one of the greenest cities in the country, one of the most uh, progressive cities in the country, and one of the most caring cities in the country. Um, but that is not today. And part of that is, you know, implementing solutions that actually work. Think big, but have the pragmatic solutions. And so there are cities that are successful. Miami was successful in addressing their homelessness. Houston has been successful. San Diego has been successful. Denver, Salt Lake City. Um, there's been a lot of cities that, um, even though they have very high expenses and, and high housing costs, high rental costs, they've been ab able to address um, the, the homelessness there. And we, we should follow um, those metrics. Right now we're doing a lot of what has failed in San Francisco. We're doing a lot of what has failed in Seattle. Uh, we're, we're kind of copying those things that are not working and then we're putting even more money into those things that are not working. And so let's shift it. Let's look at where this has been successful and follow that model. Yes, we need to have housing for everybody, but in the meantime, we need to find places for people to sleep. 
You know, we can't let people sleep on every street corner. That's no good for those individuals. Last year, 126 people died in the street. Uh, half of them died of drug overdoses. I believe 21 people died because they got hit by cars. Um, all that, the highest in the history of Portland. And, and it's not a service to let them live in the streets. At the same time, it's not, not good for the neighborhoods. You know, they, they deal with some of the ramifications of having homeless people in their, in their streets as well. Let's all solve the problem in the way that other cities have solved the problem. Yeah, yeah the, the crime and the, um, I've, I've looked into the numbers and I think we're looking at uh, about 50 people, 51 people died last year or in 2020 and last year alone was double. Uh, of the of the homicides the homicides 92 yeah. people were killed yeah. last year yeah mm -hmm. so it's uh it's and it's not looking good this year as well so it's it's uh it's something definitely troubling to look at i want to take a quick moment and do a quick uh sponsor shout out uh you know we here uh thank you thanks to some of our sponsors that we have uh in slavic vote so uh some of those sponsors that i want to do a quick shout out is uh, american best realty uh the other one is solution 8020 uh uh, Ciberoni and uh, Third House Media, one of our newer sponsors. And with those sponsors that we have, we uh, have the ability to be here, uh, to have these programs, to go out there and register people to vote, go out there and have material to give out to the community and educate them and have them be uh, more educated voters. So because of these sponsors and many others, we are able to be here today and do the work that we do. So thank you to those uh, those companies. And if you are hearing uh, these uh, these names and you like to support them, you can always do that. Again, you can always uh, find these sponsors on our website. You can just scroll down to our sponsors or check one of the tabs and uh, do support these businesses because they're doing some great work and they're supporting great uh, causes as well. So, And if you're also interested to become one of the sponsors of Slavic Vote, uh, we're always looking for great companies, uh, specifically Slavic uh, businesses. Uh, you can reach out to one of us. Uh, you can call me directly, 971-244-2228, uh, and we'll be happy to sit down and, and see how best we can uh, use, utilize those resources to advance our mission and to advance uh, the work that we do. So thanks again to all the sponsors, and we look forward to uh, more of these programs uh, thanks to them as well. So. You mentioned you uh, you mentioned some of the issues that Portland are causing or uh, Portland has. Um, you go out there and you speak to a lot of people. You speak to and you listen to a lot of people. What are the, some of the most common issues that uh, people uh, out there talk about? Yeah, I mean it's it's the very issues we covered here. I know people are uh, still concerned about the high cost of living and having good jobs and and paying for housing. That is still in the background, but invariably the conversations are about public safety. Invariably, yeah. people tell me stories about how um, they've they've been in personal contact with someone that uh, has threatened them or their family has been uh, assaulted by somebody or their businesses have been hurt by people. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something that is very commonplace. And um, certainly people are uh, upset about how Portland is, and, and the general uh, county um, is is dealing with the homeless situation. They realize now, um, if they hadn't before, but how much money is being spent. I think people's uh, taxes went up recently, especially housing taxes. And then, there, where's the money going? Uh, we're spending a lot of money here. One of the highest tax rates, marginalized marginal tax rates in the country. Where's the money going? How can we not help, you know, a few thousand individuals in our streets? One of the most wealthy cities in the country. So you hear a lot about. Um, uh, 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 homelessness. You hear a lot about crime, and um, 
and you hear a lot about how uh, people are just fed up with City Hall. You know, a lot of stories I hear now are about um, people trying to contact their city council people, people trying to ask for help in whatever they way, and then they get ignored. And I hear that from individuals. I hear that from neighborhood associations. I'll give you an example. Uh, in, uh, in downtown, there's going to be a new uh, safe rest village. And also in, in Multnomah, uh, in southwest Portland, I should say, there's, an, there's going to be another safe rest villages. Uh, I was in a call recently with uh, uh, neighborhood associations, with people that were on both neighborhood associations. And they said, like, we, we want to help. We have individuals that are working already with the homeless. We know who's out there. We go every week and provide water, provide socks, provide clothing, uh, try to get them some housing if we can. Um, how can we help? And, and they were ignored. And then they were told, no, you can't help because if you, we let you help, if we let you help in this process, we have to let every neighborhood association help in that process. Now, think about how blind of a view that is. You have people that are volunteering their own time, people that already know who's in their neighborhoods. And our city is saying, no, we, we know better than you do. Um, and. Furthermore, if, if you, we let you do this, if we let you participate in this process, then we have to open the door to everybody participating in the process. We should open the door to everybody. Right. Yeah. Well, that was my next question is, um, this is, I don't know, I don't want to put you on a spot, but um, as a city council, um, are cities able to, it sounds like these are nonprofit organizations or individual people that are trying to help out, right? This was neighborhood associations, yeah. Do you know the position of uh, just the state in general to like nonprofits that are trying to do something? Because we work with organizations like Flashlift, for example, in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, they've been doing really amazing stuff as far as community goes, mm -hmm. uh, outreach to teens. Uh, they do cleanups, the graffiti, the garbage pickup and they're not getting any kind of funding not that they're asking funding specifically from the state um, but they're just seeing the the issues for example in order for a juvenile to be put into detention i think the cost daily was like almost 400 plus dollars a day that taxpayers are having to pay for this teen that could have been doing something else sitting in you know juvenile um like, is this something that, that you see, I know we can't solve the homeless, uh, the homeless issue overnight. Uh, I drive from, uh, on the Glen Jackson Bridge, the 205 coming to Portland, mm -hmm. and I see this constant battle. Uh, you would see an article saying, uh, we just cleaned up Marine Drive, and there'd be this article that's written about it, it's all beautiful. Next week, same thing again. It's all, you know, old motorhomes, dilapidated motorhomes, and... Uh, we see that money is not solving the issue, especially with homelessness. So it's got to be like you just stated, which is kind of amazing. I'm, I'm hearing this. I'm like, what in the world? Like, if you don't accept help from people that are willing to give it to you for free, then I don't know. I mean, like, what yeah. else do you do? It's a structure issue, then. It's some kind of a... No, no. I mean, it is a structure issue. It's the fact that um, every bureau is led by a commissioner that has a philosophy about how um, these problems should be tackled. So that's a structural issue. It's a personal issue because 
some commissioners are, are obviously not able to deal with the immensity of the difficulties that we're currently seeing. You know, you can have, uh, for instance, one of the first people that introduced me to city government was Commissioner Fish, and he was uh, a, a brilliant individual, dedicated his life to public service, uh, and uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, there you have an individual that was able to do things well and got things done. And if we had more of those, we wouldn't be in a situation right now. But at the same time, uh, we shouldn't be in a system where it's so dependent on individuals making the right choices or that would suffer when individuals make the wrong choices. Uh, and so you're, you're right. There's organizations that are doing a lot of good out there. But unless you know the right people, and I'll admit this right now, unless you know the right people, you won't get the money. You know, you can do a lot of good, but you're not going to get funded. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so uh, there's uh, there, there there's an unused jail called Wapato. You know, I don't know whether you've heard about mm -hmm. this, but um, it was a big structure and homelessness. This was a few years ago, so homelessness was certainly growing, not to the same level it is right now. And um, uh, Jordan Schnitzer, one of uh, uh, the benefactors of Portland, offered to buy that building it's it's it doesn't even look like a jail from the outside it looks like uh, um just a, a normal amazon warehouse or something but he offered to buy that building and turn it into a homeless shelter for six million dollars okay and uh um people refused no one tried to help him from the city no one tried to help him from the county in fact i said no we won't let you buy the building so instead of letting him buy the building for $6 million and use his own money to create a homeless shelter where people can sleep at night instead of sleeping outdoors, they auctioned off the building. And somebody paid $5 million for that building. So a million less than the county would have gotten initially. That person that paid $5 million sold the same building to Jordan Schnitzer for $5 million. So he still got that same building for a million less than he was willing to offer you know, us taxpayers for that building. Then they created the Bybee Lake Center. So they remodeled that building and, and they uh, gave it to uh, a, a nonprofit uh, called Helping Hands with Alan Evans. He's run um, uh, shelters all along the coast of Portland, yeah. uh, along the coast of Oregon, and been very successful. So he took that place over. And at first, uh, they built, I think, 130 beds. Now they're up to about 300 beds. I went there recently. There's uh, kids playing basketball in the courtyard. They have a garden there now. People that were homeless were sitting there together, breaking bread, talking, laughing, eating. People there are working in the area, so they actually do go to the Amazon warehouse and help out. And apparently, they're really good workers because they're there, they're willing to work, and they have stability in their lives for first time in a long time. 80% success rate in helping people transition from drug addiction and homelessness to jobs and housing. 80% success rate. And according to him, $24 a night is what that costs. Wow. But not funded by the city, not funded by the county. Right now, he's uh, he put in an offer to actually run the shelter that's uh, the Safe Rest Village that uh, is being built out in southwest Portland. And, and I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it because that is a success story. And we should be funding the success stories yeah. and, and not doing whatever we're doing right now. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, are out of time. Um, th those were some great conversations. I appreciate it. Uh, I do want to leave on a, perhaps a positive note. Um, I know we talked about a lot of negative things about Portland. Uh, what are some of the good things about Portland? I know, um, uh, we, we, again, we discussed a lot of negatives, but there's definitely always good things to see in Portland and the surrounding cities. Uh, what would you say those are? 
Yeah, I, this is the most compassionate city I've ever lived in. The The people here care so much about the city. They care so much about each other. They care a lot about the most uh, indigent people and the most marginalized communities here. I've lived all over the United States. I've never lived in an area where people cared about themselves, about their communities, about their city as much. Everywhere I see people rolling up their sleeves and helping out, whether it's solve cleanups and picking up trash or graffiti removals, they're all willing to help. And then, and then just that spirit of like uh, our, our artistic creativity and entrepreneurship, you know, it's, it's hard to find a McDonald's in Portland, but you can find so many unique and interesting restaurants, so many small businesses that are being creative, um, individuals that are using um, unique uh, avenues to succeed, uh, music, arts, all that stuff is why a lot of people really love the city. Uh, within a very small area, you can go um, have a drink at a good bar, have a good meal, uh, go to uh, uh, live music, maybe see a show downtown. We just need to reinvigorate that um, and, and make it better than ever. We need to encourage people to come to Central Portland to go downtown and yeah, have have a beer, have a meal, go to a show, uh, and then tell your friends about it. And let's let's bring people back for the things that makes the city so special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of the Slavic community is leaving Portland, leaving the the Northwest for a lot of these issues that we discussed today. And uh, I really hope you know uh, we see a change because maybe they will stick around and make the state uh, better. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll definitely see that change. I hope everyone who listens to this goes yeah. to uh, www.votevadim.com yes. <laughs> and, and looks at you know the changes I'm proposing. But I think it's very possible um, come January of 2023, um, you, you'll, you'll see some changes here right. and for the better. So you mentioned your website. Is there any other way, uh, anybody who's listening that might be interested to maybe learn more about you? Is there any other places they can find you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Instagram account and uh, uh, Facebook as well. So uh, Google Team Vadim, Vote Vadim. It'll come up. Uh, if you sign up on the website, we'll send you updates about what's going on. Uh, we're doing some very innovative and creative things in the next few months. Uh, right now, we've spent a lot of time kind of you know, spreading the word, getting donations, getting contributions, which if anybody wants to contribute, please feel free. But yes. um, also, uh, we're building up toward uh, bringing back... Um, you know, uh, a lot of fun to what's happening right now. I think, as you mentioned, we've talked a lot about the difficulties that are being faced by Portland, but there's so many people out there that are doing their best to uh, make Portland a great place to live. And you'll see that in my campaign. I'm working with those people. I'm going to be spotlighting those people. Uh, Pilmeni Pilmeni is a great place. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I've had them before. Um, I think they're at the farmer's market, but uh, it's, uh, you know, there's so many people. We just need to, like, help them out a little bit during these hard times. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously we have listeners all across uh, uh, Oregon and Washington. And you might not be living in Portland, and so you might think this is not relevant to you. But uh, we, we ourselves, we lived here, and we thought this is not going to come to Portland. So if you live in another city and you are not voting and you're not getting active, these things will happen to your cities as well unfortunately if the communities are not active and bring the change so if you again uh, it's really important to vote and we talked about earlier of the election that's coming up or that's already pretty much almost over in Washington specifically is it I think it's across the state of Washington so uh, again if you are needing assistance uh, who to vote for and what to vote for just in general explanation of what those ballots are about you can easily reach out to our website to our Instagram and find more information uh, specifically with the SV Action, the greater organization that's uh, partnered with Slavic Vote to give you 
more resources to give you more understanding who to vote for. And it's just another boundary removed uh, so the community can be a lot easier to vote for. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I just wanted to – any other last uh, things you wanted to mention? Uh, and I'm guessing if, if somebody wants to meet you or have a meet and greet, do you, have, do you ever have any of those? I, I do. Uh, so you can email info at votevadim.com, and my campaign staff will set up a time to meet, uh, whether individually or with uh, groups of people, um, you know, time permitting, definitely groups of people, but also individually over coffee. I do that. Mm-hmm. Um But get involved, as was said, you know, uh, when I was an immigrant and my family grew up, they just wanted me to fit in as much as possible. You know, don't be noticed. Don't be heard. And and now I see that there's a there's a better way. Go out there, be heard, have your voice heard and and be represented out there. Um, I think the Slavic community, Eastern European community uh, gets taken for granted a lot. And, uh, you know, we are a very large community and we need to be represented. Absolutely. Eric, any, any last thoughts? I think that was well said. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I did want to also, there's one last question that I just uh, wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, the Slavic community here, um, they've been here majority of 20, 30 years. They've been here for a lot longer. Uh, and I think some of the, there's, a, there's this um, battle, I guess, right now of uh, trying to blend in and trying to, trying to just become more of what this community is about. Uh, do, you, do you recommend uh, to preserve our, our culture or just to kind of, uh, I'm forgetting the word there that there is assimilate assimilate yeah. <laughs> uh, do you recommend uh, assimilating into or do you preserve do you, do you recommend preserving our culture and staying uh, to what we believe in? Yeah, that's the easiest question I've had all day today. So, <laughs> definitely preserve the culture. Um, I, I I'm saddened that my uh, Russian is not as a good as good as it used to be. Uh, that I can't speak as well, but I still try to preserve the culture. Whether it's with Erko in the Slavic Center over there, uh, the Russian festival, the Slavic festival that happens on the east side, um, or the uh, old New Year. I go every year when COVID is not around, at least to uh, the Star Theater, listen to Chervona. I make a Russian meal at home. I cook my own borscht. And, uh, and it's all to remember what that is. It feels like home, you know. So how often do you speak Russian in general? Uh, you were speaking to me Russian a few minutes right, ago. Right, today, yeah. today counts. Uh, <laughs> but like in general, um, like a, a few times a year, uh, how, how often do you find yourself speaking No, I, I, I speak to my mom almost daily. Unfortunately, okay. uh, she speaks more Russian than I do to me at times. <laughs> but no, I understand very well. I talk to you very well. I understand. It's just need more friends. Yes, and political terms are very difficult to speak. Yeah. If you don't listen to Russian radio, then it's... Yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm saddened that our program is over, but uh, perhaps um, uh, we'll have you come back sometimes in the future and, and uh, to speak a little bit more about... It's, it's uh, been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you very yeah. much for hosting Thanks me. It's been a true in. pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And again, if you're tuning in, uh, if you are not subscribed yet to our YouTube channel, uh, do subscribe. Uh, it uh, helps us uh, quite a bit to just get our, more, our word out there more and grow our audience and grow our influence in the Slavic community. So if you um, are not yet uh, subscribed, do that. Again, there, we also have social media. Don't forget to, subs- to follow us on, on uh, Facebook, on Instagram. And if you like to learn more about what we're doing in the next future, where we're at next month and just going forward, you can also find a newsletter subscription where you can subscribe to our newsletter and we'll be able to uh, keep you updated on our next registration drive, on our next uh, event that we're doing. Uh, and we've got a lot of plans this year. So thank you very much again for tuning in. Uh, thank you, Yaroslav, for being here. Vadim, thank you for finding time to be here. We really appreciate it. And um, we look forward to 
our next uh, program next week and you will listen to Slavic Кандидаты, стремления, новая программа Slavic Vote Live каждую неделю в прямом эфире Slavic Vote Live. This podcast couldn't have been possible without our incredible producer Vitaly Zaitsev. And of course, we'd like to say a special thank you to our supporters, sponsors, and contributors. Special recognition to some of our sponsors like Red Hill Construction, Pinmeni Pinmeni, Martinov Realty, and American's Best Realty, among others. If you'd like to learn how to partner with Slavic Vote, you can find more information on our website, slavicvote.org. Thank you for listening and join us next time.